And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, what have you what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. And they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, Who is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? God, we thank you for this time to come to your word. This evening, we thank you, Lord, for Lord, this trip to Kazakhstan. We got to take some time and celebrate, uh, Lord, what you're doing through your church. Lord, we know that um, the church is being persecuted there in ways that we can't imagine. But God, you tell us that we are one family. And so we mourn with them. We pray over them. We come alongside them in ways that you make known to us. And so we want to thank you for the team that went, their faith, their boldness. We want to thank you for this time tonight, God, as we've come before your presence. As I know that I've felt your spirit in this room. Lord, we pray tonight as we look at your word that you would encourage us, that you would challenge us, and that you would reveal to us the gifts that you have given. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So if you've been with us, we are in the core of our series, The Gift. It's spiritual gifts in you. And last week we jumped right into the depth of the series where we began to look at one of three categories that we've put all the spiritual gifts, the 21 spiritual gifts that we're looking at in. And the first category that we saw last week were the category of love gifts. How many of you had felt like you had love gifts? Oh, that's pretty good. I saw some of you out there feeling like you have love gifts. That's the gift of administration, helps or service, mercy, and giving. And these gifts are used to demonstrate the love of God practically in the church. They're supportive gifts, and they're so important to the stability and the health of the church because by you using these gifts, you reveal the love of God to others in the church. And I know many of you last week when we did the time of prayer after the service, you felt the Spirit confirm to you that you have these gifts. Maybe you walked away and you knew that you had certain love gifts, but God really made it aware to you. Some of you walked away feeling like, I'm, I'm not really sure. I'm a little unsure whether or not I have the gift. And I heard some stories this week that were so encouraging of the community groups discussing these topics and you all encouraging gifts in each other, which is uh, the beauty of the church where we can help reveal gifts to one another. And some of you left last week and you were feeling a little down because you realized you don't have a love gift. And you're like, do I have any gifts? The answer is yes, and if you don't have a love gift, you're in the same boat as me because I don't have any love gifts. So you were eagerly anticipating maybe this week, which are word gifts, because you're like, maybe I have a word gift, one or many. This category of word gifts that we're looking at tonight is a category that our tradition or our stream is very familiar with. This is a category that we uh, elevate. 
sometimes in an unhealthy way, we elevate these gifts over the other gifts. And it's important to say, as we're going to say time and time again in this series, that we have to be careful not to do that. There are no hierarchy of gifts. Last week I said that there are no first-class gifts and economy gifts. There are no gifts that are more supernatural than others or more important than others. All the gifts of the Spirit that are given to you are given to you by God's grace because He chose to give them to you. And just because your gift is maybe less visible or is not... uh, kind of a gift that demands a lot of praise because of the way that you use it, it does not mean that it's less important. They're all given by God. They're empowered by His Spirit. They're given to you. And it's important that we say that and we know that because we need to hold on to the reality that the spiritual gifts are not about ego or duty or identity. So it can be really easy to wrap your ego up in your spiritual gifts, especially if you have a spiritual gift that gets a lot of praise from other people. When you use it and other people tell you, how great you are and how wonderful that was and how powerful your gifts are, your ego can puff up. You have to be really careful not to allow that to happen. Some of us can function out of our spiritual gifts in a sense of duty. Maybe you were raised in an environment where certain gifts were told that you have to have them and you fell into the trap of believing that you needed to have these certain gifts to really be mature and really make a difference for God. And so you function out of your spiritual gifts as a sense of duty. See, that's not how they're meant to operate They're definitely not meant to operate in terms of your identity. Sometimes what can happen is is you begin to discover your spiritual gifts and develop them and then deploy them into the life of the church. Instead of wrapping up your identity in Christ, you wrap up your identity in your gifts. They're not meant to be fueled by ego. They're not meant to be used as a sense of duty. And you certainly should not wrap up your identity in your spiritual gifts. Your identity is wrapped up in Christ. So there are no hierarchy of gifts. We've been having this working definition that the spiritual gifts are a guaranteed place of power to serve from in the church for the common good. They're a guaranteed place of power to serve from in the church for the common good. And they're different from spiritual practices. We've been kind of sharing the differences between spiritual practices and spiritual uh, gifts. But I want to kind of double down on that again because... We got a bunch of questions this week. Okay, well, what really is the difference between spiritual practices or disciplines and spiritual gifts? Spiritual disciplines or practices are given to all people of faith. If you're a person here and you believe in the life, death, and resurrection of Christ, you believe in the gospel, you are a follower of Jesus, there have been many practices made known and available to you, and you are encouraged to incorporate them in the rhythm of your life. Things like corporate worship, so you checked one off the list this week, great job. Confession, prayer, meditation, fasting, simplicity, celebration, many spiritual practices. And these are given to all people of faith so that you might build them into the rhythm of your life so they bring transformation to your life. Transform your heart, your mind, your desires, your relationships, your life. Transformation may not be immediate. It's more like a butterfly, a caterpillar transforming into a butterfly. It takes time. But as you engage in the spiritual practices of corporate worship and prayer and meditation and studying God's word and celebration, the Spirit will transform you, your life, your mind, your heart, your relationships. But those are different from spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts are not about your transformation, though you may be transformed and full of joy when you use them. Spiritual gifts are about using them to serve in the church for the common good. 
They're places of power to serve from. Here's an illustration that helped me. Imagine that a tropical depression is going to sweep through Dade County. I said tropical depression because I don't want to jinx us with the hurricane. Tropical depression is coming through, and it's just like a heavy summer storm, a lot of wind, a lot of rain. You don't got to evacuate. You even have the power, so you still can make breakfast in the morning. It's all good. It comes through overnight. You wake up in the morning. You walk out of your apartment or your house, and right outside of your door is a huge tree. You got to get the tree down. Can't stay there. And so you try to figure out what to do. Okay, listen, all you have in your toolbox is a bunch of simple saws. So you get your friends and your family together and maybe some neighbors. Say, listen, we got to cut this tree down. We got to cut it into pieces. We got to move it to the street for bolt pickup. Have no idea when they're going to come, but I'm going to put it there and someone's going to get it sometime. So you, everyone grabs a saw and you start sawing the tree. It's going to take hard work, it's going to take discipline. But it's good, and it's important, and it's necessary. But as you're sawing the tree, everyone's got a limb, and you're trying to get the tree out of the way. A neighbor comes over and says, hey, can I help? You're like, yeah, grab a saw. We're going to be here a while. And he says, I got a chainsaw. Want me to bring that? You're like, uh, yeah, bring the chainsaw. So he comes over with a chainsaw, he cranks it up, it's a gas-powered chainsaw, right down, cuts the whole thing in an hour, and you are so thankful because that would have taken you at least a day, maybe more, but your friend, your neighbor came over, used his chainsaw, and it was so much more powerful, the results were better, and it was much more effective. This is the difference between spiritual practices or disciplines and spiritual gifts. Spiritual disciplines or practices are like simple saws. There are things that we need, we have to apply them, we have to use them, but they take hard work, they take discipline, they take effort, but they're good. But all of us that believe in Christ have been given a few chainsaws that are unique in their power. The results are greater. The effectiveness is greater. And so, when you begin to, di- to, to decide whether or not, and the Spirit begins to confirm whether or not something is a simple saw or a chainsaw, that maybe will help you to see whether or not it's a spiritual gift or spiritual discipline. For instance, all of us are called to the practice or discipline of mercy or giving or evangelism. But if it is a chainsaw, if it's a spiritual gift, it is much more powerful. It doesn't take as much effort. It doesn't take as much discipline. It just comes out of you. It's a natural response of who you are. It is a gift that has been given to you. You don't have to work as hard at it as other people. And when you bring it to bear to a situation, it is much more powerful than other people that participate in that practice or discipline. And so tonight, we're going to look at the second category, And that category are the gifts of the word, the word gifts. And some of these things you may say, okay, these are more spiritual practices for me, or some of them may be chainsaws. They may be spiritual gifts for you to discover and develop and deploy into the church. So I'm going to pray for us um, to pray that God would make known to you whether or not these gifts are gifts that you have, one or many of them, that the Holy Spirit would confirm those in you. Will you pray with me? Holy Spirit, we just ask very simply tonight that you would confirm in us those that you have given word gifts to. Make it known, make it clear. Would you bring even an unsettled nature to our heart and our mind? 
that we would not hide these gifts if they've been there and that we would develop them and deploy them through your power and uh, your work in our life. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, you guys ready to get in? All right, that was bad. You guys ready to get in? Okay, there we go. Just a little, uh, you know, uh, encouragement. There's going to be a, a lot of information here. And so if you're a note taker, your, your arm's going to fall asleep. So you're going to want to text in, like Tommy said, on the back of your worship program, because all the notes are there. I gave you so many notes there. So if you want to follow along, text in and follow with us. So the word gifts are different from the love gifts. The love gifts demonstrate the love of God practically in the church. The word gifts, their purpose is to clarify the nature, actions, and purposes of God. The love gifts are supportive gifts to the vision and mission of the church. The word gifts help to create, to sustain, and to refine the vision and mission of the church. These are gifts of teaching, encouragement, leadership, pastoring, apostleship, and evangelism. First up is the gift of teaching. In our passage tonight in Mark chapter 1, we see Jesus use this gift. Jesus who has all of the gifts, the only person to ever have every spiritual gift as God in the flesh. He says this in verse 21 and 22, and they went into Capernaum and immediately on the Sabbath, he, Jesus, entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. Right after this, Jesus uh, teaches and he commands an unclean spirit out of a man and they're amazed at the power of his teaching and the authority. You see, but even before Jesus uses the gift of teaching to, to cast out an unclean spirit from someone in the synagogue, when he begins to teach scripture and unpack it and expose it, people are amazed. They are astonished. There is great authority with what he is saying. In 1 Corinthians 12, the apostle Paul says that God is appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, and third teachers. It's a gift given to many in the church. Here's a, a working definition for this gift. Teaching is the supernatural ability to unpack, instruct, and expose biblical truth in such a way as to cause believers to understand and pursue God's nature and purposes. If you have the gift of teaching, whether you preach or whether you teach in a small group or a Bible study or one-on-one, -on -one, when you begin to unpack Scripture and teach Scripture and instruct people with Scripture, people's response is something like, I get it now. I see it. So the Holy Spirit works in and through you to make known the truth of Scripture. It's a it's a spiritual, spirit-led thing. It's not because you have catchy slogans or a great outline. It's because the Spirit works in and through this gift that He has given to you. It's important to realize and to, to know that the spiritual gift of teaching is different from the natural gift or learned gift of teaching. So you may be naturally confident and a good communicator, and you may have a sharp mind and Maybe in your job, you do a lot of presentations, you feel very comfortable in that space, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you have the gift of, the spiritual gift of teaching. You may have gone to school to be a teacher, and you're currently serving as a teacher, or that's a big aspect of your job, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you have the spiritual gift of teaching. 
See, the spiritual gift of teaching is about unpacking, exposing, and instructing people around Scripture so as to charge people to get it and to understand and to bring change. Here are a few clues. I like to get practical. A few clues if you have this gift. When you teach Scripture or talk about Scripture, whether in a Bible study or you preach or teach or one-on-one, people put into practice the applications that you put forth. That they say to you, man, I I see that now. I'm going to apply that. That's really insightful. It's really helpful. You are a person that hungers to know more about God's Word. You are a nerd when it comes to the Bible. You want the syntax and the commentary and the chiasms. You know the whole thing. Whether or not you've gone to seminary, it doesn't matter. You just like love that. you got like four study Bibles. Really about it. You are probably somebody that watches a lot of other people that have the gift of teaching. You watch YouTube videos of other preachers and teachers. You listen to a lot of podcasts. And when someone is teaching scripture and they're misusing it or misapplying it or they misunderstand it, alarm bells go off. It's really unsettling for you. Like, that's not in the right context. That's not right. And you probably have said or thought this before in your small group or in your community group. You've probably thought, can we just go deeper? You know, like, that's great catching up, but, like, let's just spend three hours and just read this one line. These are people that have the gift of teaching. It's a very visible gift because you're always looking to expose and unpack and instruct people with God's word. And so with that, it it typically comes with a lot of encouragement. People will encourage you. I love your applications, your illustrations, so helpful. But that's why this gift comes with a warning. And it's a gift you'd be very careful of. Because it comes with a lot of encouragement at times, it can be easy to wrap up your ego in it. Or to do it as a sense of duty. Or your identity becomes your ability to teach. A Bible study or preach or share scripture with people. If you have this gift, I want to encourage two things for you to hold fast to. And the first is to be taught before you teach. Be taught by God before you teach others. Don't just read God's word and study it and then share it. Read God's word and study it and apply it to your heart before you ever share it. Because you can combat ego and duty and identity. And also read other people, secondly, read other people that you disagree with. When you have the gift of teaching, it would be really easy to create an echo chamber for yourself and just listen to everybody else that thinks like you. And that's how you wrap up your ego and your identity and a sense of duty in it because you don't believe you're really ever wrong because you've never read anybody else. Read other people. Be taught before you teach and read other people that have different perspectives and thoughts. I say this because James 3.1 gives a warning. Here's what he says. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers and sisters, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Now you're like, I don't want that gift. I was kind of thinking maybe, but now I'm like, nope, don't have the gift of teaching. It's a great gift, but it's a gift to be careful of. Be taught before you teach and read others. The second gift is a gift of exhortation or encouragement. Romans 12, 8 says, if to encourage, then give encouragement. Here's a definition. Notice there's something repeated here. 
The gift of exhortation or encouragement is the capacity to urge people to action in terms of applying biblical truth, to encourage people with biblical truth, or to comfort people through the application of biblical truth to their needs. Did you notice what was repeated? Biblical truth. There's a difference between the spiritual practice and discipline of encouragement and the spiritual gift of encouragement. You see, we're all called to be kind and encouraging and positive and uplifting to other people and supportive of other people. Spiritual discipline practice. The spiritual gift of encouragement is the person that is attaching their comfort and their encouragement and their praise and their support to Scripture. They are always thinking about how to attach Scripture and to apply Scripture to people's lives. If you have the gift of encouragement, you're like a spiritual cheerleader with a specific purpose. You're not just cheerleading people because you just want to encourage them. You're encouraging them with a purpose. You want to see people begin to or continue to rightly apply God's word to your life, to their life. If you have the gift of encouragement, a couple clues are you're a person that loves to write letters. You love it. You have your, probably your own stationery, probably even has a Bible verse on the bottom. You like stationery, you want to write cards to people, you're on a WhatsApp group, you're always sharing verses on your WhatsApp group, your Instagram, I mean, your Instagram is like just other people's verses. You follow a lot of people that just share verses, and then you kind of do the put it in my story thing, and you share that too. You're thinking about texting people verses. You're someone that feels like God puts people on your heart, and when God puts people on your heart, you want to hear what they're going through and then encourage them, not just generally, but with scripture and scripture comes to mind and you think I got to share this with somebody I know what they're going through this will be a comfort to them people probably confide their inner thoughts in you you probably had many times where you've walked away from a conversation with somebody you don't even really know that well and you're like they shared a lot and I don't really know them and people probably generally like you a lot you're also somebody that loves when people share stories like, you were all about the Kazakhstan presentation. You're like, more. Just do the whole service like that. You love to hear stories of what God is doing. But there's a darker side to this gift. The darker side of this gift is that sometimes people can think that you're shallow or trite because you encourage a lot of other people, and you, you comfort people often, and people can feel like, that's, that's just them. Just always like that. They don't know that it comes from this deep sense, this spirit pulling it out of you and giving you a burden for other people. You can feel underappreciated because this gift is person-centered. It's not as visible. It's kind of in the background. You can feel underappreciated. And oftentimes people that have the gift of encouragement can struggle with feeling lonely because they're encouraging others time and time again. They're giving out, they're looking to comfort and connect scripture to people's lives, but they're not receiving it the way that they wish they were from others. This gift is so important to the life of the church. And I want to make sure that those of you here, because I know many of you have this gift, that you don't feel underappreciated, and that you see the power of this gift. There's a, a main figure in the New Testament by the name of Barnabas. His name literally is the son of encouragement. He has the gift of encouragement, and Barnabas was a man who came alongside the Apostle Paul, and the Apostle Paul came to faith. He mentored him, he comforted him, he encouraged him in the ministry. In fact, he connected Paul to the church leadership. 
stood by his side, walked alongside of him. He did the same with John Mark, who would write the Gospel of Mark, supported him, defended him, comforted him, encouraged him forward in the ministry. Between the Apostle Paul and Mark, they wrote 14 letters in the New Testament. Over half of the New Testament was written by those two men. You know who doesn't have a book in the New Testament? Barnabas. But without Barnabas's encouragement and exhortation in the life of the Apostle Paul and Mark, we'd probably be missing half of the New Testament. You see, if you have the gift of encouragement, you may not always see the results and the fruit of it. But in eternity, you will. And God is using your encouraging words and your comfort and your letters and your texts and your cards in ways that you don't know. Ways that are so powerful. So don't feel underappreciated with that gift. The third gift is the gift of apostleship. And we'll move through the next few quickly here. The gift of apostleship is different from the office of apostle in the New Testament. There are the apostles, which are the 12 disciples plus Paul. These were men who had a unique calling. They saw the resurrected Christ, and they were to build the foundation of the church. It was a unique responsibility and calling given to them, but it's different from the gift of apostleship. In fact, in the New Testament, there are those who have the gift of apostleship, but they're not apostles. So Barnabas was one of them, and Silas, and Timothy, and this really wonderful woman named Junia as well, who have the gift of apostleship. If you have the gift of apostleship, you have the God-given ability to create new ministries. It's a pioneering gift. It's the church planners and the people who want to do cross-cultural missions, the person that wants to start a new organization that gets alongside other faith-based organizations. You're constantly thinking about the places in the city and the people that are unreached and overlooked. And how can we create something new? And how can we reach those people? And what can be done? You're a pioneer. You're a creative thinker. You're a risk taker. You feel a deep sense of commissioning by God to reach people that others aren't in new ways. And others around you see that in you. And they encourage you in that way. You probably have profound spiritual influence on others. And you think on a macro level in regards to the church. The fourth gift is the gift of evangelism. And Ephesians 4 says that, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, and the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up the body of Christ. Evangelism is the special ability to communicate the gospel message in relevant ways to unbelievers. It is about presence and proclamation. Jesus models this gift as well when he's constantly present and spending around time around people that don't believe in the good news of who he is. They're far from God. In fact, Jesus was labeled a drunkard and a sinner because he spent so much time with unbelievers. But he also proclaimed the truth. He wasn't shy about sharing the message of the good news of the gospel, of who he is and what he's come to do. If you have the gift of evangelism, you are constantly around people, and you love to be around people that are far from God. But you're also not shy about sharing your faith and sharing what you believe to be true, which is the gospel. Some clues are that you probably get in conversations about faith with people all the time. Friends, coworker, the barista, your Uber driver, it just happens all the time. And in an unforced way, it's not, you're not forcing, you're not pressuring people. It just naturally comes out in the way that you talk with people. And you love apologetics. You love learning how to kind of reason your way and learn different arguments. You want to hear different people's doubts. You pray often for people who 
are far from God and are struggling with doubt and unbelief, God puts a, a burden on your heart for them, and you speak authoritatively about Jesus. You don't kind of dance around it. You don't massage it. You just own it. It is what I believe. It's what I believe is true, and I would love for you to believe that too. Speak authoritatively. I read this great quote by a British missionary, C.T. Studd, and if this resonates with you, then you probably have the gift of evangelism. He says, some want to live within the sound of church or a chapel bell. I want to run a rescue shop within a yard from hell. If you're like, amen, you may have the gift of evangelism. Now, I want to say some of you may be feeling like, I don't have the gift of evangelism. Probably studies show about less than 10% of the church globally has the gift, the spiritual gift of evangelism. But that doesn't mean you're like, great. All of you who have the gift, you go tell people about Jesus, and I'll just, whoop, because it's much more comfortable that way, because when I talk, it's kind of like, hey, what'd you do this week? And you're like, uh, well, uh, do you like Jesus? I like Jesus. You want to talk about that? He's like, whoa, you're weird. And you're like, yeah, I'll never do that again. You see, those who have the gift of evangelism aren't just like rogue agents that the church sends out and like, go reach people for Jesus and we'll stay here, you know. They have a unique gift, a chainsaw. But we all have the simple saw of evangelism to engage in it and to make it a spiritual practice and, and behavior in our life. And I wanted to dispel some of the, the fear because I think sometimes some of us feel like we're supposed to have the gift of evangelism and it's okay that you don't. But the way that you can engage in the evangelistic enterprise through the spiritual discipline is really simple. It's just letting people know that you believe in Jesus, you go to church, and inviting them to come. It's about as simple as it gets. So when someone says, hey, how was your Memorial Day week? And you're like, I went to the beach, I saw the planes, and Sunday, I can't remember what I did Sunday. And then Monday was great, I laid by the pool. Just like skip over that you went to church because you're like, I don't want to make it weird, you know. The gift of evangelism, they will jump in that opportunity, but all of us are called to the spiritual practice of just letting people know and being authentic of what we believe and telling people we go to church and inviting them to come with us. The fifth and the sixth gift are leadership and pastoring or shepherding, and I'm going to put these against each other. The gift of leadership is the gift of uh, a vision. It's a vision-oriented gift. Last week, we looked at a love gift, a gift of administration, which is about how do you do something? Someone shares a big vision, you think, well, how is that going to actually happen? If you have the gift of leadership, you don't care how it happens. You're just like, where are we going? You're thinking big picture. Leadership is a divine enablement to cast vision, motivate, and direct people to harmoniously accomplish the purposes of God. You're constantly looking to hear from God and to receive a vision from God that you can share with the church and encourage and direct and motivate people to that end. You're very conceptual. You're probably never satisfied. You're constantly pushing goals down the road. You almost accomplish a goal, and you're like, nope, let's make it bigger. Let's keep going. You think about the group more than the individual, and you believe that really great things can happen for God's glory and his name. So much so that a lot of people look at you and the vision that you have and the goals that you have, and they're like, that's unrealistic. There's no way. You see, people that have the gift of leadership typically... They get involved in full-time ministry and assume the, the title of pastor or they want to be an elder or a deacon or a Bible study or small group leader. They want to lead a team. If you have the gift of leadership, you are not comfortable not being involved in the conversation. You want to be involved in a, the conversation around vision on some level. 
whether with a team or as a deacon or an elder, a leader on some level. And this is different from the last gift, the gift of pastoring or shepherding. This gift is the capacity to exercise concern and care for members of a group so as to encourage them in their faith, their growth in Christ. The gift of pastoring, unlike the gift of leadership, is person-centered. It's focused on the individual. It's about care and concern. The person that has the gift of pastoring is thinking about unity in the church, healing wounds in the church, instructing people. They have a vision for people's individual lives so they can grow in Christ. There's a big emphasis on pastoral care and presence. You're the kind of person that loves to follow up with people. When you read a prayer request or you hear about somebody's struggle, you follow up with them a few days later to see how they're doing. You visit those that are sick. You enjoy spending time with people and hearing about their adversity and their struggles, and it doesn't drain you the way it drains others. You have this just deep sense that you want to see people believe in Jesus and follow Jesus, and you will walk with them as long as it takes to see that take place in their life. You probably come alongside people with very practical actions for their life, and you give pointed prayer. And you lead and you teach well, but you're most effective in a smaller setting. And you love discipleship. I mean, just that word gets you excited. You're like, discipleship. I love it. I think every small group should be hosted or led by somebody that has the gift of pastoring or shepherding. Because those that have this gift love people well. They care for people well. They heal wounds. They build unity. They bring vision and teaching to the individuals that make up a group. But it's different from leadership. And I I have a confession to make. I am a pastor who does not have the gift of pastoring. I don't have a shepherding gift or a pastoring gift. And you're like, wait a second. Maybe it's in your title, you know. You're supposed to. But I don't. I don't have a pastoring gift. I don't have a shepherding gift. I think about the group more than the individual. I think more big picture than the individual. I'm not great at pastoral care. Some of you that know me know that. And so if you expect for me to function out of a pastoring, shepherding gift, you'll be disappointed in me because it's not who God made me to be. But here's the good news. A lot of you have a pastoring gift, a shepherding gift. And the church needs you in leadership. The church needs you in small groups. The church needs you in kids' ministry. The church needs you in all different levels to care for people, to heal wounds, to build unity, and to shepherd people, to shepherd looking over the flock. Here's the other good news. Your campus pastor, Tommy, has a gift of pastoring. He has a shepherding gift. He loves people well. He heals wounds. He builds unity. He cares for the individual. He follows up. He's a pastor that actually, he follows his title. (laughs) See, I have a different gift, and that's okay. You see, if I I were to work really hard at developing a gift I don't have, that would be a waste of my time and energy. And and I tell you that because we've all been given different gifts, and we need to accept the gifts that God has given us. And not work at trying to develop something that we don't have because somebody else's expectation or because of ego or because of what other people have told us. Just say, God, what are the gifts you've given me? Make them known. Let me accept them. 
Take the pride away. Take the expectations of others away. Let me just accept the gifts that I have and function out of that because that will be joyful and that will bring great results. You see, we're a church that is to be interdependent with one another as we depend upon the Spirit and ask the Spirit to make known the gifts that we have. And be okay with that because here's the truth. Our identity is not wrapped up in our gifts, the gifts that we have or don't have. Our identity is wrapped up in Christ. We believe in faith that Jesus gave his life for us on the cross and he was buried. He came forth resurrected on the third day. And through faith in Christ, we are loved and forgiven and accepted. That is your identity. And God did not make a mistake with you when he chose to give you certain gifts and not other ones. Regardless of what other people's expectations are, he didn't make a mistake with your gifts. So my prayer is that you be, as you begin to discover what gifts the Holy Spirit has given you, that you accept them and you walk confidently with your identity rooted in Christ, knowing that all the gifts that you have, it's God's grace to you. He didn't make a mistake. So you pray with me. God, we thank you that you are sovereign, that you are good, Lord, that you didn't make a mistake with us. Lord, sometimes we can bend to the pressure and the expectations of others. We can work hard at developing a gift that we don't have because we believe maybe some are more important than others or out of some sense of duty. God, we ask that you would remove ego and we ask that you would remove a sense of duty, and that our identity would not be wrapped up in the gifts we have or don't have, but in you. Lord, you are good to us. Would we trust that as we discover who you've made and called us to be? Holy Spirit, confirm these things in us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.